0: Hi, I'm Jim Callback. This is The Service Design Show, Episode 121. Hi, I'm Mark, and welcome to
1: a brand new episode of The Service Design Show podcast. On this show, we explore what's beneath the surface of service design. What are the hidden things that make a huge difference between success and failure? All to help you make great services happen that have a positive impact on people and business. The guest in this episode is Jim Kalbach. You might know Jim as the author of the successful book called Mapping Experiences and the book called Jobs to be Done Playlist, which just came out. He's currently also the Chief Evangelist at Mural. So in this episode, we're going to have a conversation about the fact that service design never happens in isolation. You're always collaborating with others. And therefore, it's not enough to just apply the right service design tools and methods. You also need to guide the people you're working with through the process so you can help them co-create value together. And what that means is that you need to facilitate the right conversations. Conversations that help everyone in the organization to make better and smarter decisions. Jim is going to share some of his best practices on how to do that and some things you definitely should avoid. A conversation which I know a lot of service designers struggle with is to get the value of their work across whether you're working as an in-house service designer with an agency or as a freelancer. This can lead to a lot of frustration because you know that you can add value, but if you can't convince the people who are holding the budgets, you won't get a chance to actually show that. So wouldn't it be awesome if you could increase your self-confidence by getting your message across clearly That you could work on bigger and more interesting challenges where you have the authority to influence important business decisions and that you could have better conversations with clients, managers and CEOs who respect and appreciate your contribution? Well that's exactly what I want to help you with in the Selling Service Design with Confidence program. It's a 6-week program where you're going to learn why selling service design seems so hard and most importantly how you can fix that. You're going to learn a very practical framework that helps you to close the gap between business and design once and for all. There are four types of people who can benefit the most from this program. In-house service designers who are pioneering and spreading the gospel who need to get stakeholders aligned. Also, I see people who work in an agency and need to set up a new practice for instance integrating it in the existing offering and finding new clients at the same time. Or maybe you're a freelancer who wants to better serve your clients and become a more strategic partner than just being an order taker. Or maybe you're transitioning into service design from an adjacent field and want to learn how to have the right conversations. If that's the case, this program could just be the thing you're looking for. The next group in the program starts on April 5th and there is a max of 16 people in the group so that we can actually have meaningful conversations. To increase your chance of getting accepted, make sure to send in your application as soon as possible. The applications are reviewed in the order that I receive them and once we reach the max number of participants, you won't be able to join this round anymore. So if you feel like you could make more impact if you just could sell service design better and you want to do something about it, go to servicedesignshow.com selling and learn more about the program. The link is also in the show notes. And don't forget, the next group is starting on April 5th. So check out the application process on servicedesignshow.com selling and send in your application as soon as possible. So now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Jim Kalbach. Let the show begin. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you on. Uh, Looking forward to the conversation. Uh, A lot of people will know your name, will have maybe read uh, some of your books, maybe have seen your LinkedIn profile. But for the people who haven't done
0: that yet, could you give a brief intro about who is Jim? Yeah, sure. Uh, Jim Callback. Uh, I'm the chief evangelist at Mural, uh, one of the leading online whiteboards. I've been with the company for six years. And prior to that, I have a background in design, design strategy in various companies and settings. Uh, And through that work, um, I have uh, three books that I've authored. First, uh, Designing Web Navigation in 2007. That kind of reflects my background in information architecture. Then looking into more strategic aspects of design, uh, mapping experiences came out in 2016, uh, which I have a second edition out right now too, Mark. Um, and then also in in 2020, uh, the Jobs to Be Done playbook came out. So I'm a I'm an author as well. Yeah,
1: and uh, the second edition of Mapping Experiences is that the latest uh, book, or was it, or
0: is the Jobs to Be Done the latest one? Now, that's a that's a good question. In mm. terms of pu- publisher release yeah. dates, yeah. Uh, mapping experiences is more current okay. than the Jobs to be Done playbook. But I actually updated the text before I finished the Jobs to be Done one. Yeah. So they kind of overlapped that one. I was doing a lot of writing, let's put it that way, in 2019 and 20. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine last year was a good year for writing
1: as well. Uh, uh, a lot of spare time. We have have a a rapid fire question round with uh, five questions that you haven't prepared for. And I need to uh, pick them up over here. Um, The goal is to answer these questions as quickly as you can. Don't overthink them. So uh, you haven't prepared for this, which is always fun. Question number (laughs) one is, what's always in your fridge?
0: What's a beer? (laughs) Beer. Yeah. Which book are you reading right now? I'm reading a book called The Statue in Stone. It's about jobs to be done philosophy. Oh, wow. Okay. What superpower would you like to have?
1: Uh, flying. Again, uh, w- w- what did you want to become when you were a kid? When I was a kid, a scientist or like a S- researcher in a lab. Hmm. And final question, what is your first memory of service design?
0: My first memory of service design? That's a really good question. It might have been... Uh, uh, like Arna van room, Uh, I think he gave a talk somewhere that I mm. saw. So mm. ten, 10, or 15 years ago, something like that.
1: Yeah, Anna Arne has been on the show, I think, uh episode three or four or something like that. Yeah. Way in the Wayback Machine. Yeah. Uh, right. good, yeah. Good it, it might
0: have been a service blueprint too. I think I came across the Mary Joe Bittner service blueprint also a while back, too. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. Good, good to know that uh, Arne was influencing and spreading the community <laughs> as early as that. Um so Uh, Jim, we're going to talk about um, things that make design work in organizations. And uh, we're going to sort of try to unravel why, even though you might have good design, whatever that is, it's still not getting absorbed, adopted by the rest of the organization, right? That's sort of the red thread throughout the next 45 minutes,
0: yeah yeah i mean um obviously obviously design skills matter right you got to know your craft, sure right and you know all the work that Arna and you do to forward the craft right better service blueprints better better services on just better design in general that all matters, so we don't want to say that doesn't matter, but there's other parts of the equation to get to something that's delivered, particularly in a commercial context, to actually get that design delivered right and I think okay. that's what we want to focus on yeah. I think there's a lot of has been written about the craft of service
1: design. Uh, yeah. And now we want to sort of see what maybe what, what are the things that en- enable yeah. the craft and let, the, let us maximize their, I don't know, the things we get out of the craft. I'm really curious, uh, maybe this is a sidestep, but after writing mapping experiences, what happened next because that was in 2016 you came out with an updated version like what happened in between yeah
0: um yeah it's a a good question um when so when i so mapping experiences came out in 2016 but i had been engaging in that topic in general i'd been doing a lot of mapping in my own work um, almost a decade before that and started writing probably in about 2014 and the questions that i was getting Um, You know, if I gave a talk or I used to give a workshop on that, I still do give a workshop on that topic. And the questions that I were getting were were things like, what is a customer journey map? What is the difference between a customer journey map and a service blueprint? And how do I create one, right? 2014-ish, let's say, right? 2015. Since then, Everybody knows what a customer journey map is. And I often I often do when I when I give a talk or a workshop, I ask how many people know what a customer journey map is. And everybody raises their hand. And now I'm asking how many people have worked with customer journey maps? If I go to a design conference, it's like almost everybody. Right. So uh the, the other side of that, too, is our stakeholders are asking for things. like I'm just using customer journey map as an example here. But our stakeholders are asking for that by name, right? Even if you're in an agency, your phone might ring and they say, I want a customer journey map, right? So that's a good thing, right? So I, I, I do, it's not about what is or how do I create this thing anymore from both our community and from our stakeholders. I think the big question that I've been seeing in the past five years and six years emerge is <clears throat> how do I make that actionable? Um, I, I, and I've, I've gotten people to tell me, yeah, I created a customer journey map. I showed it to my stakeholder and they didn't get it. Yeah. Nothing happened. Yeah. There's no impact. They didn't do anything. And my question is, well, how did you facilitate the conversation around it? How did you together with your team and your stakeholders, how did you make sense of the potential opportunities that the journey map can reveal? And they're like, oh, I didn't. I just, you know, I just sent it as an email. Yeah. So, Well, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. That's not enough. You got to facilitate the conversation as well
1: and And that's what I really liked when yeah. we were preparing this conversation, sort of the topic of facilitating the right conversations, I think right. not just conversations, the right conversations um and understanding what that is and the and the importance of that um yeah that's that's what we can try to unravel. You mentioned something uh in our preparation about design always being a team effort, always playing. Uh, part in a bigger context. What's the deal with that, and how
0: does that link to what we just said? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the nature. It's the nature of the di- discipline, right? It tends to be very, very public, very visible. Um, people, other people in the organization, can see it, and if they have two eyeballs, they have an opinion about it as well, too. Just to contrast with, let's say, you know, coding or development. Right? Nobody's looking at a developer's code and saying it looks good or not. Okay, it has to work right? So if there's a bug in there, it'll come back to you. But as you're developing, nobody's looking at it with their opinion, right? So it's just the nature of the work. And I'm not saying, you know, it's better or worse, but our, our work, we have to, to kind of wear our work on our sleeve, so to speak, So and everybody can see it. And I think because of that, uh, as designers, we need to embrace that and make design participatory uh, throughout the whole journey, because what you don't want to do as a designer is get a, get a mission, get a brief up, up front, and then a month later, have the big reveal. And uh, I used to do that. And I know as a designer, you like the big reveal. I'm going to go away and do some research. And here's my service blueprint, right? Boom. And, here, and then the stakeholders go, yeah, but I don't know where that came from. And they start questioning your method and your data and the validity of it and all this kind of stuff. So it's really about engaging people the whole way too. Hmm. And
1: uh, what if we don't do that? Or, well, or you, what if we
0: don't do that well enough or enough in general? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you, you can have successful projects that have an impact. I think, I think the risk of your project becoming derailed um, increases, right? And derailed by uh, the other people around you, right? Because um, re- regardless of how high ranking you are as a designer or you're in your organization, there are other concerns. There are commercial concerns. There are business concerns, right? And then there are feasibility and technical concerns as well, too. And you have to harmonize all those things. And it's, it's rare that a designer is also the business decider and the technical decider all wrapped into one, right? So you just by default, to get something out the door, there has to be a negotiation of those different perspectives in any organization. And I think, I think that's an opportunity for designers to lead that negotiation, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: And if we fail to do that or neglect to do that, important decisions are being made without taking the design aspects into account, the, the human aspects into account. It, the decisions are being driven by financials and by engineering, basically.
0: Exactly. I mean, design happens whether and, it's intentional exactly. by a designer or not, because the thing that goes out the door is design. Is that what you wanted, is the question. Is that the best for the customer and the user? That's the question, right? We, um, you
1: just mentioned... Things happened between 2014 and uh, and 2021. Um, people are asking different questions. Now, how did we get to this point where we need to have a conversation about facilitating the right conversation? Why, why hasn't that uh, sort of evolved along the way over the years?
0: Why are we here? Well, I mean... Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, to some de- to some degree, it has. And I don't I don't want to say designers aren't facilitators or designers aren't facilitating. Um, I think it needs to be anchored in as part of our discipline more and and you know almost be like formalized. Like you go to design school, you learn the craft. You also have to learn how to facilitate stakeholder conversation. And sometimes they're really tough. I don't know if you've ever been a room, if you're in software development, you've been in a room full of engineers. Uh, you know, that can be tough or, or, you know, in front of a bunch of business deciders that that, those can be tough conversations and skills that you don't necessarily learn at design school. So, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that we haven't been doing that. I think we have to do more of it and it has to become, it has to become part of the mindset. Right. Um, and I, you know, I think at least from what I'm seeing, you know, you start, Uh, you know i'm seeing books and articles and and shows like this that are talking about this topic so i i I think we're i think we're addressing it um it's just for me it's just kind of the next frontier i believe
1: yeah maybe it's moving up the maturity ladder and that's exactly then the the next level requires new skills different awareness um exactly exactly and i'm also curious like uh Sometimes the question comes up to me, like, why the design community? Why isn't the tech industry dealing with the same Mm -hmm. questions? Are they already in the... Is it because we're not in the positions where we have enough influence over decision making? Are Are we sort of playing catch up and need to fix that? Or is there something else going on?
0: Uh, uh, no, I, I think I think that's part of it. Yes. And, and, you know, you know, as designers, we've been pounding our fist on the desk saying we want a seat at the table for a long time. And I think rightfully so. Right. Um, and then you look at books like uh, Maria Judice's uh, The Rise of the uh, uh, Chief Design Officer, or is it design? I forget the abbreviation that she used. But yeah, yeah, get, getting design into leadership. Uh, positions. Um, and I think that's an awareness of industry in general, businesses in general, of the importance of design um, that the position that we're in i think is a symptom of design just being and and you know you've heard this before too uh you know aesthetics are just the last thing that you do to get it out the door it's the polish and things like that rather than viewing design as a core to what the the offer is that you're you know uh, designing pricing designing brand designing the thing i mean you know you can use design in a much broader context and i think you know are the businesses and the companies that we work for are becoming aware more and more aware of that as well too but it's slow, right? Because the mindset... Uh, has been more around operational efficiency and maximizing profits and things like that. Oh, now i got to understand how design fits in my equation. So I, I, I think we're kind of getting there, but one of, the, one of the pieces that's missing, and I don't want to make this sound too pedantic or, or kind of flat. Uh, Please do. Flat, uh, <laughs> this the is the ROI. Opportunity. It, it's the ROI, right? It's the ROI. And if we compare to our friends over in the marketing department, right? Marketing has been really good about showing their value right? Marketers can say, if you put $1 into my campaign, I'm going to give you $2 out the other side, right? It's not so easy with design. And yeah, there's lots of studies. I have some here on my computer desktop, right? The Deloitte one that came out last year. And, you know, there's all these studies about the ROI of design. They're there, but they're not anchored in, in the business and the commercial mindset yet. I think we're getting there though. Yeah. So, so that's good news. And it's a great time to be in design because of that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just posted a, a post on LinkedIn. I've been post- posting a lot around the ROI these, uh, discussion on yeah. design. I think we have a lot of education to do, and that's sort of the—I yeah. uh, don't know—the the heritage or where we're coming from. Like, um, and that—that's part of the job, and that will be for yeah. uh, still a very long time. I've been I in uh, the so. service design field for 15 years; <laughs> never a day hasn't gone by where where I hadn't had to educate people about uh, right. what it is and the value uh, it brings. Right. Yeah. So this isn't coming uh, from nowhere for you. I'm sure that you've been in situations where you experienced the lack of facilitation of the right conversation. How did it start for you? When did you, can you give an example, a story like where, when was it missing?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, and, and and it also has to do with my my introduction into into mapping in general. You know whether it's a customer journey map or service blueprint. I was looking at a range of techniques. Um, this is about uh, let's see, was it twenty twenty one, maybe closer to fifteen years ago when I was working for a company called LexisNexis, and. Uh, they, they produce solutions for, for legal professionals, um, usually around finding information and things like that. But we were talking a lot about workflow back then. We want to fit into our customers' workflow. Um, and I started to pick up on this idea of workflow mapping. If, if we want to fit into our, uh, our customers' workflow, then we have to not only understand how they come to our product, Like, how do they find us and buy us and use, you know, usability of our, of our products, but how do we fit into their workflow? So I started to kind of zoom out a little bit and look at what, what workflow meant and mapping was an obvious way to, 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 to analyze, to diagnose, to research, diagnose and analyze that, right? Oh, you know, they're not just doing, they're not, they're not just in front of our product all day. They're doing all these other things and they have all kinds of other products around them and trying to kind of piece that together. And guess what? You know, visualizing it as a diagram was the key way to do that. Um, and, um, this was working with some colleagues and they said, well, you can't just, you can't just make a nice diagram and not have a conversation around it because that's called wallpaper. And I didn't, I didn't want to make wallpaper. You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't want to make pretty pictures that you just hung up on the wall and everybody said, it looks pretty. So, um, I, I, started doing these workshops, um, at the time I was living in Germany, I was living in Europe and, you know, going to the French, you know, French business unit in the UK. Things like that. I even went to Australia so that I, I you know, I, I started to do. I started to become known for these workshops that I were doing. Not the maps. It was the workshops. It was like, oh, we want to do a workshop with Jim, a workflow workshop with Jim, uh, and that kind of thing. And that really kind of opened my eyes into how how you can get those aha moments, right? How you can go from research. Okay, here, here I did all this research and I put it into a diagram, but then you get this. Ah, oh, I see it's not just about us, right? Uh, and that kind of outside in view, right? Uh, and, you know, we're not the center of the universe we view. And, and you know, you could see it, I could see it on my stakeholders faces. And that's kind of where it's, I, I didn't recognize it explicitly, but I started to realize, oh, it's the conversation. It's not the map, it's the conversation on top of the map that's important. Mm. And
1: that's interesting, because in our work, we do a lot of Probably a lot of workshops, a lot of sessions. Uh, yeah. Today we do everything remote through tools like Mural, for instance. Yeah. Um, people might start to question, like, what is what is really our work? Is yeah. it is it are we facilitators? Are we just right. facilitators, facilitators, or are we service designers? Or right. it, is there even a distinction? So, yeah. like, what's your take on that?
0: I I think, I think you have to have multiple hats Um, and yeah, you have to be, you know, know the craft of service design and you wear that hat, right. And you do your research and create a service blueprint and all the other great things that we do. Um, But I do think the, and again, this is because of the nature of the discipline, because it's so open in public and everybody can have opinion on our work. I think you have to open that up and we do have to be facilitators. So you take your hat off of, you know, the craft of service design and you put a facilitator hat on. Uh, and that's, I believe that's part of, of service design as well, too. I would even go further because you can look at some of those workshops that I talked about and say, yeah, but what was the impact? You know, did it stick? Did, did, was there follow through? Did you actually launch something, you know, based on that? Um, so I've been, I've been trying to extend that conversation as well, too, and think about what is the commitment from the organization to the insight that we brought to them? And are we responsible for that? I think, yeah, actually we are too. Do you have the time and the resource to actually follow through on the concepts that you came up in that workshop? And thats uh, I think
1: that's a really important uh, thing to note here because if you're just a facilitator, your job ends when sort of the workshop has ended and you've sent the the summary to the client or the stakeholders. Your job as a service designer and workshop is always a means to an end. Like we're doing something that's bigger. We're trying to improve the lives of people. We're trying to make organizations more profitable. That's and and we need conversations for that, right? That's I think that's a, no, that's a I key agree. distinction yeah. here. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: If we zoom in into uh, your workshop experience, what was if you if you look back on it, what were the things in those workshops that? uh that sort of worked. What made yeah. them so effective and so powerful uh, that people kept asking you back to do yeah. them across the
0: globe? Yeah, there's several factors. I think for me, it started with the, the diagrams and the visualizations. Uh, and, you know, obviously I write about this in the book that those are compelling artifacts, right? You could go out and do a ton of research. You could, you know, interview t- 20, 30 people. You could do a month worth of research, and summarizing it in a very compact diagram becomes compelling then, right? I could also write a 20 page report and you know, send that off and say, hey, read my report. People don't read the report, but if you have that compelling artifact that gives an overview, um, it draws people in. And it draws people in in a way that multiple people can have a conversation at the same time as well too. So it's not a solid, you're not absorbing that insight you know, on your own, you can do it as, 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 as a team. So, setting up the workshops so that the the kind of the centerpiece that the center of gravity is the diagram, and that's what we use to hang on, all the conversations off of, but do that together as a team right um, so the visualization I think is a key part to have that catalyst, um, but also having a multidisciplinary team and i can't tell you, mark, how many times I would do these workshops that I was uh, referring to and and you know even to this day for that matter, where I was it was the first time that two people uh, on the same team were in the room together, like the marketing team and the engineering team. It'd be like, let's do introductions. Like, oh, I've never met the head of engineering before, you know, and then marketing person, right? So then, so and this is also an opportunity for design as well too, because as a designer, I was now bringing perspectives across the organization together as well too, with the diagram being that catalyst for that conversation. And then I think the last thing, uh, the last thing is, uh, just being able to have a different mindset and perspective on things, right? Because the marketing person is looking at things in terms of distribution and the business person is looking at things in terms of optimizing margins and the technical person is looking at things in terms of feasibility. And you put all that away and say, for the next two, four hours, whatever, we're going to think about what the customer is experiencing, right? Yeah. And you rip all that other stuff off. And because the, di- and the, and the workshop is structured and the diagram moves from left to right, they have to engage with it, right? And it's that empathy Building type of, of uh, exercise that I think is really important. And it's also foundational as well too, because people would say, "Yeah, but Jim, we we want to we want to launch something. You, we want to do a workshop and launch something." And I'm like, "That's not. It's not about that. It's about what happens six months later or a year later. That person in that workshop has a different understanding of the user. So it's not. It's not a. It's not a. You know, in, input output equation. It's foundational for the organization to practice a muscle of customer centricity." That's a lot,
1: yeah, and I totally yeah, sorry agree. Sorry about that,
0: long, long answer.
1: <laughs> I'm happy that it is, it's still getting you excited. And um, this is a, um, also, again, worth noting that our work, the value from our work is emergent, uh, rather than it's being, uh, it's not a machine uh, where you have input and output, like you said, yeah. which, is, which you can isolate, isolate, it emerges from uh, right. creating an environment in which things happen, right? And, right? and these conversations contribute to that environment, which is a really tough sell in a lot of organizations. If you sort of want to show evidence or proof for the value you're creating for the
0: organization, uh, we don't have to go into that, but yeah. Well, that goes back to the ROI question. Sure. Well, what's the ROI of practicing a customer centric muscle, uh, you know, across the organization? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here's what I like to ask, though. Imagine if your company didn't do that. Sure. Imagine if your yeah. company, everybody just worked in their cubicles. They had their tasks in Asana and, that, and they put their head down and that's all they did. It's like, well, you wouldn't have imagination or innovation or, you know, thinking empathy and all those other things. So I like to flip the question around when people say, what's the value of that? I was like, well, what, imagine if you didn't do that. Right? Exactly. As yeah. Like, what's the alternative? <laughs> right. Exactly. If, right. If yeah. the alternative <laughs>
1: alternative is better, let's let's go for that. And um, yeah, the, the the challenge there with flipping it around still is that usually not a lot, Nobody is accountable for actually doing customer centric things. Like at yeah. the end of the day, after three months or a year, and you have your uh, yearly review, two two little people in our organization are judged by the fact if they have done stuff that pushes the company to be more customer or human-centric.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know some of the stories that I was telling you know, earlier on at LexisNexis, I was fortunate enough to come across a stakeholder who was high enough in the organization to kind of push this through and believed in it. He sure. didn't want the ROI calculation because he, he got kind of what what you're talking about. So one of the recommendations I have, of, you know, how do I turn my organization around and get this going, is f- try to find that champion who is just going to understand the value of it uh, without, without having to have a number attached to it and, and, and attach yourself to him or her. That's it. And, and yeah. this is what uh, I would love to go into deeper
1: because finding a champion uh, who believes in it is crucial. Have you found mm-hmm. other critical success factors that help to facilitate these conversations?
0: Um, you, you know a lot a lot of a lot of design and some of the techniques we 're talking about like workshops and mapping and empathy building and all of those types of things they 're the kind of thing that 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 organizations and the people in those organizations don 't know they need until they 've seen it or done it so one of one of the things to do is also to to do to do a pilot or to just get started by just getting started right and i know I know that sounds uh That that sounds redundant or oxymoronic in in its logic there. But if you're, if you're in design and you're, um, and you already have projects and efforts. Can you, in a more covert way, can you bring some of these things that we're talking about, engaging stakeholders and workshops and thinking through, can you bring that into your existing projects so that you have an example? Because what, if you don't know you need something until you see it, then you need to create, create that thing and show, hey, look what this team did over here to kind of start somewhere small so that you have that example. And then it's like, uh, it's a snowball from there. You know, then everybody wants it and you become in demand. It's it's exponential growth. I can totally. I
1: think so. Yeah, uh, I can totally uh, recognize that. And um, I I was having conversations uh, with some in-house service designers, and the word experiment or experimentation has uh, uh, arose a lot. Like, don't say you're going to do something new or you that that you want to introduce a new methodology. Say that you're going to do an experiment. Let's let's right. try this new thing. Yeah. And then that's usually enough to right. get started. So okay. so right? How do you get started?
0: Uh- Propose an experiment. Right. Ag- agree. Yeah. Agree. Let's let's try it out. Yeah. And yeah, then, and then use that happens. as your case. Yeah. Let's and then use that as your as your case study to show other people. Yeah. And tell them afterwards what you've done. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Exa- no. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know I think that's the value of shows like this of you know things things you know my books and other other things like that that are out there is that others now other designers Mark can hold those things up as examples. And say, well, maybe we didn't do it here, but they're doing it over there. And by the way, that was one thing that, motive, that, that got me, uh, my organization uh, motivated earlier on, way, you know, way back when, was that uh, there was a, actually an HBR article, Harvard Business Review article, that showed that our competitor was doing some of these things. Oh, that was gold for me. Because fear fear look our competitors are doing it right now okay let's you know do do the workshop and you know then then suddenly doors open for me when I found when I found out that our competitors were doing this kind of work gold yeah Yeah, I've heard
1: yeah yeah, I've heard this one uh, a few times on the show but it's also good to emphasize this one just look at what the market is doing and nobody exactly in the organization wants to be a legger like we don't exactly like you said it's fear we don't want to miss out um, and just Showing those HR articles on the on the right desks, <laughs> and that, <laughs> right. that is a very very effective strategy.
0: Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, so just you know, find a champion, do a small project in a in an undercover way, find what other people are doing. These are some of the things that you. And if you do all of those three things, you can you can kind of get started. I mean, it depends on where your organization is, but you can move things along. Yeah, it mm-hmm. it starts to create momentum. Now, yeah, exactly. Um, you also
1: mentioned that. We're probably already doing parts of this. Maybe not conscious, but uh, we are already facilitating conversations to uh, some degree. What do you feel is the thing that's missing the most in the current situation?
0: I, I think it's the follow through. It's what, it's what happens, right? So we said, okay, it's not about the map. It's about the conversation around the map. And now, okay, now we can facilitate conversations. I think it's the next step, right? And I can't tell you how many times, Mark, I've ended a workshop with a wall full of sticky notes. I take a photo of it, transcribe those, and go back to my stakeholder and say, here, we saved the company. It's in there somewhere. You figure it out. Mm. We saved the company with our brainstorming section. That's not enough. You have to then prioritize and get the, the resources and the time, the resources and the time to do further experiments on those things, right? Because an innocent little sticky note with an idea is not ready to go to market yet. There's a big gap from my sticky note to go to market. There's a gap that we have to start filling. I think that's the next frontier.
1: Does an example or a story come to your mind when you think of when it this occur in your situation?
0: Yeah it, yeah, it did. It was at my last company uh, that I worked for, Citrix um and uh we we did i did a mapping exercise in a workshop and you know based on my 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 past experience i had already been thinking about this so rather than saying we're going to do a brainstorming session and come up with the idea that's going to save the company which you always do in those workshops you always think you save the company right um i said we're going to do a workshop and we're not going to come out with ideas we're going to come out with experiments so i actually set the expectation that there's no development that's going to happen. You're not going to go from sticky note to development. We're going to go from sticky note to experiment. And I actually invited a project manager to the workshop. It was like a multi, it was like a little design sprint type thing, right? And I had a project manager there in the workshop for the whole time whose sole purpose it was to capture everything as experiments so that at the end of the workshop, we didn't have a wall full of sticky notes. We had a project plan for experimentation at the end of the workshop.
1: And if- Classic, Uh, super good strategy. I remember that I once uh, sold a project where we said, we're going to provide you with five experiments, but I need to know upfront that you'll have the budget and the time to actually follow up on those experiments because they they wanted a customer journey map. And then uh, my question was, what are you going to do with them? And eventually they wanted to become, I don't know, that they had business objectives, and we said we're going to come up with experiments to help you achieve that business objective. But I need to know that you'll be able to take the next step; otherwise, it doesn't make sense to actually engage in this project. And it
0: worked—like just right. having that conversation. Yeah, agree, uh, agree. Made it happen. W- what's the follow-through? Now I'm going to ask you, Mark: Is that part of design? So now, now we have to know the craft of design. We have to know facilitation, and now we have to know business experimentation. Is that part of design? Yes. Uh, uh, if you, I, I, I think, uh, I think so, and
1: the reason why I think so is because I uh, evaluate the impact of our work by tangible change in the outside world. So, did did we actually does somebody experience something different after we're done with our work? And it can take a long time before that's the case, but uh, that's sort of the the measure stick that I use to see if we're making progress. What do you think? I
0: agree wholly with you. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree more. Morris. I think that, is, <laughs> that it's, it's a nut- I, sorry about that, but yeah, it's another hat that, that designers have to wear. But if we want to have this impact, if we want us to have a seat at the table, we have to be able to have those conversations as well yeah. too. What is your commitment What is your follow-through and the commitment to that follow-through before I get started with my design research? But I get your question, and it's a valid question that I,
1: again, have seen on uh, social media coming by. Like Mm we, I think we as designers feel responsible of actually following through. I think part of this is because uh, we're makers by nature and we want to put things into the world. But sometimes it feels like we're the only ones that care if things... (laughs) actually follow through. And that's a big weight yeah. th- to
0: have on our shoulders. What's your yeah. experience with that? Yeah, it, it, that's the responsibility of design as a discipline. And I think that's that's where we need to start moving to. And that takes us then into questions around o- organizational design. And who, ha, what is the decision-making process in, in an organization, right? Um, can, here's, a, here's a great question. It, can anybody in an organization stop a release or stop launching something because the design is off? And and you know the answer is usually no. That you know companies are willing to ship things with with a with a compromised design over uh you know good business model and great technology behind it, right? Uh, but is there somebody in the organization that can say, guys, we can't launch that. The design's not right, and push it back? And very often the answer is no. So we, we feed, we feed our, 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 our work into this machine, this decision-making machine, where, which we, where there's nobody to, to pull the brakes or to steer it anymore. And then you cross your fingers and you hope the thing that comes out in the market has to do with what you, uh, what you designed, uh, you know, whatever, a year earlier sometimes, right? It's a long time in advance sometimes. So, so that's the current status. But how do we change that? I think it's, I think it's by continuing to, to, uh, to expand our, our remit, uh, you know, right. Moving from craft to facilitation to business experimentation. Okay. Now let's put our remit on, uh, I don't know what the next circle is there, Mark, to be honest with you, but, you know, launch, uh, launch health, you know, design health at launch or something like that. Right. You know, and thinking about how we can move all the way into that direction as well, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe uh, it's about feeling ownership of making an impact on business and yeah. on people, like, so right? And and I don't think maybe we have we the feeling of ownership uh, regarding our customers, but not so much the feeling about yeah. ownership of helping the company to be successful, or at least not explicitly enough.
0: Uh, agree, agree, and I think it's the feeling of ownership and being able to take ownership, even if you're not the de- decision maker, which is very hard to do. But I also believe it's ownership of yeah, you need owners all the way through as well too. I think it's top and bottom, it's bottom bottom up and top down as well too. And I think the more you know, we're, I don't think we're th- we're there yet. In most organizations, some are there, but most aren't. Um And I think it's. It's just perseverance and us as a discipline trying, you know, trying to recognize it, first of all, Mark, like you know, I are bringing this out. I hope, I hope others are benefiting from this conversation. Um, and, then, and then thinking about what you can do from the bottom up and the top down at the same time.
1: We've been talking uh, a lot about things we need to start doing, <laughs> doing more. And like, I, I already hear people moaning at the other end of the uh, headset more work more stuff more things i need yeah. to learn it's getting bigger and more holistic
0: do you think there are things we need to stop doing yeah that's a great question uh yeah it seems to be additive right so we have to do this and that other thing now but what what can we take away um yeah that's a good question um uh, may, maybe not take away but like less of maybe um i don't know sometimes sometimes i cringe when i when i hear a you know young design team talk about you know a discovery phase we need to go into discovery and and you know it's this long i don't know it's it's almost discovery theater at times you know to take the theater aspect of what we do away and just get to the get to the meat as quicker you know like because that's what your organization wants as well too so i think sometimes we have a little bit of ceremony around what we do how do you experience that ceremony what does it look like how does it look like um yeah it's um there's a there's a lot of buzzwords (laughs) and a lot of uh a lot of activities that go into it persona creation and all these other things and discovery we have to do more user research uh and all that stuff and i'm not saying that's bad so i'm not saying cut that out but how can we make that like leaner right because you you know instead of instead of having this fat thing up front like let's take some of that energy and put it at the other end like we're talking about now right and because that that stuff evaporates but you know we, we were talking about kind of this this chain right of from insight to action to actually launching right and it's like let's take some of that energy from up front and put it towards the end right you know that kind of thing i don't know exactly what the, what what you would what you would lose uh so i'm not being specific here but i just feel like there's a lot of energy up front that we need to kind of save kind of a marathon we're we're running a marathon and not a sprint you know what i mean yeah yeah i totally agree yeah, we, right. um there was not an-
1: episode and i don't recall the name i'm sure it will pop up in a second otherwise i'll add it to the uh show notes where we uh were talking about leaner service design and the yeah. concept where that was sort of proposed was um do research by creating stuff so yeah. make things that that yeah. people can test in uh, in the real world whether it's yeah. your colleagues whether it's customers and then uh, get feedback from that and use that to drive momentum okay. rather than yeah, going out doing a bunch of interviews. That's again, like you said, that's that's valuable and important, but it's harder to sell and you have to have more
0: confidence, buy-in, recognition that you wanna do that. Yeah, no, that, that that's a great point. And 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 don't get me wrong, and everybody listening as well too. I just wrote a book on jobs to be done, which is as upfront as you can get about, you know, trying to find that unmet need. And I don't want to say that's not important, but, but as you were just saying, you can find the unmet need, but you don't, there's also research that you need to do with a thing with a solution, right? As well too. And you can understand, here's the thing. You can understand the need when you, when you have that thing in your hand as well too. So, so get quicker to having that thing, whatever that is. Right. In fact, there's a, there's a lesser known book out there by a friend of mine. Um, called presump, uh, i don't want to say um, wait what the, heck's the name yeah presumptive design i don't know if you know that book by no Luke frischberg it's called presumptive design where where it basically says start your design research with a thing it doesn't matter what it is just go go into a go into a session or a workshop and pull a thing out and say our our service is like this why is our service like this thing right and that's like and a the, yeah, that, thing yeah. and you start doing research with a, with an artifact exactly. not with yeah, you know, not with interviews. That there, kind of there, thing. there was a poster <laughs> behind me for
1: a long time, which said "No prototype, no meeting," which uh, is a <laughs> phrase yeah. stolen from, again, somebody who I can't recall at this moment. But that thing um, can be anything, like you said. You, yeah. yeah, you yeah. have something to talk about, and I think right. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, getting uh, closing um, that cycle between right. uh, research, yeah. creation,
0: right being faster with it. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the thing. Get to the thing. But you. The, here's the point though. Your research doesn't stop. You're still researching. You're, you're just always doing researching. That research. Right. Yeah. You're always researching. Exactly. Right. So this, maybe it's, maybe it's instead of being waterfall, be more iterative, right? Let's do all the research, find the unmet need, and then bet the farm on the unmet needs. No, mm-hmm. let's get to something really quick yeah. and continue the researching. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Right? So
1: that's my beef with the double diamond. I have a video <laughs> on that. Uh, and I'll, Very briefly touch upon this for the people who haven't seen that video. Like it misrepresents often what the design process is. It sort of shows like the research, ideation, I don't know, uh, prototyping and then delivery or something like that. That's not what we do in, in right. reality. What we do in reality is within a day we do research, creation and, and learning. Right. That, that happens within a day, and that exactly. What the double diamond or there is progress in the design pro, uh, process, but that progress is from going something which is very low fidelity and very uninformed to something which is high fidelity and more informed. That's, that's the true
0: progress in the design process. I agree. And you know what? One way that I've seen that manifest itself is with the figure eight, just a loop like this, right? IBM Design Thinking has a figure eight. I have it in my my Jobs to Be Done book. It's a figure eight. Jeff Gotthelf on the cover of his book has a figure eight. You're not going to be able to unsee this mark now, but figure eights are all over the place. It used to be three circles. It used to be three circles of a Venn diagram, right? And information architecture (laughs) is at the center. Now everything's a figure eight. And I think I think why we're seeing all these figure eights out there is exactly what you what you said, is that we're trying to get away from this linearity of a waterfall double diamond approach. And we're trying to talk. Th- this is for ourselves, but also for our stakeholders. We're trying to show that, no, I'm a designer. I'm going to be doing this. This my day looks like a figure eight. Exactly. It doesn't look like exactly. A line. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, what you said.
1: Your day looks like this. It's not your right. six months look like right. this. Well, your and, day
0: and your week and the month and the sure. project looks yeah. like this as sure. well too. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. The, the, the smallest atomic unit looks like this. And right. I know people will be commenting like, uh, yeah, the double diamond is about converging diverge. And I agree with that. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a very good purpose of the double diamond. But uh, yeah, adding design stages and phases in there is not smart. I'm curious, um, how would you know that you're on the right Track like what is the difference before and after facilitating the right conversations? Mm-hmm. How do you know? How do you know it's working?
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think I think you can you can answer that question in two ways. One is internal, and the other is external, right? And so, just focusing internal because we're kind of talking a little bit about the dynamics of your organization as well, too. Um, it's a, it's a good question. I should probably come up with a nice list or a blog post on this. Uh, but I think I think there are there are immediate cues that you get from from the session, just the the engagement and the leaning in that people do. Right. Are people leaning in uh, and, and participating and, and engaging you in conversations or are they like looking at their watch and folding their arms and leaning back? Uh, th- th- those are kind of metaphors there. But you. Uh, so Not I don't know the metaphors. concrete answer. Well, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're manifestations of it, but how do you know a group of people is with you and leaning into your concept, right, or not? It's, it's a really good question. I think it's part of facilitation as well, too. Having that awareness, are, is the group with me, right? You know, head nodding, all that kind of stuff. But are they really, are they really internalizing it, right? That, that's, a, that's a deeper question, right? Um, and it's some of those things, you know, the head nodding, the leaning in, the people engaging, that kind of thing. But here's one of my biggest measures of success, right? When you hear your words, you see your map or your persona in somebody else's presentation. And I've had that happen to me where a business stakeholder like almost took my slide deck from my workshop, made it his own and presented it to somebody higher up, right? Didn't give me credit for it. So I could have been offended, but I saw it as victory, right? When our stakeholders are using our words, we win.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. totally agree. And uh, when you yeah, when they steal and remix the things you've said, yeah. when they, yeah. 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 Uh uh, I think uh two episodes ago it was also it was Ryan Rumsey who said uh learn the art of having other people have your way. What was it? Yeah, I don't know the exact phrase, but
0: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. No, 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 it's a big it's a big measure of success too, because that's that foundational internalization that I was talking about. The effect of this isn't oh, we do a workshop and we get a feature out of it. It's we 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 do we do these sessions, and, and there's this internalization. There's this culture of this, and people start regurgitating that. That that's a clear sign that yeah. you're on the right track.
1: Yeah, are they are they running with it? Is right. it is it you who has to send right. out the notes? And ha- ha- is there a pull or a push factor? Correct. Right when pulling you push when you go one. To, yeah exactly yeah. when you go to pull when people start nodding you uh, pulling your your arm. When are you ready? When when do we have the Right, whatever, then you know that uh, right. something good, something good is happening.
0: Agree, agree. What's
1: what's your, what would you say is your biggest lesson, and maybe your biggest mistake when you look back on, yeah, the facilitation of the right conversation. I'm com- keep coming back to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it is a little uh, a naivety that, that I had, and maybe I still have it too, about how the organization makes decisions in the end about the, about their business, about go to market. Um, it was actually, actually, if I had to pick one thing, it would be go to market, how businesses think about the go to market motions, right? A lot of businesses think about go to market separate from R and D, right? And you have those terms in a, in a balance sheet, right? You'll have, what was our spend on go to market? What was our spend on R and D, right? We're on the R and D side, Mark, by the way, right? Uh, innovation, product experience, we create the thing and, and then other people bring it to market, right? And I think there was a naivety that I had about um, the the go-to-market decision-making process. Uh, To to some degree, it was a lack of knowledge, and there are lots of other things. There are lots of other concerns: marketing, sales, brand, uh, you know, bottom lines, all kinds of things that go on in kind of the business side. Uh, On the other side of the coin, too, and you know, particularly now with my position at Mural, much closer to our go-to-market motions, there's also dysfunction there as well, too that I was naive about, uh, but that dysfunction beats our dysfunction. So the decision-making on the go-to-market side often trumps uh, decision-making on the R&D side of businesses. So it was kind of that macro, macro understanding of business in general. And then within that, all of the organizational dynamics that take place as well, too, uh, that I was, I was kind of naive about that. And I really thought I was going to, you know, I, and I, I made this joke earlier in the show, Mark, where I talked about, I saved the company. Right. My st- my wall of sticky notes is going to save the company. And you have that kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, as as a particularly as a younger designer, when I was a younger designer, that kind of, you know, uh, ha- happiness and, 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 and delight about, ah I just say we got the best idea. no all I have to do is bring that over and they're going to go, oh, my God, why didn't we think of this before? Let's invest in this. And they didn't. Right? and i was like oh wait why didn't you do that so there was a naivety about how the, the business works and how decisions get made i think it was, was my biggest mistake so that was your biggest mistake and
1: what what happened what did you do to overcome that
0: like what's the biggest
1: leap you took to yeah. I, I
0: i mean i think it's really just pushing right sometimes it's hard right sometimes it's it's, it's really hard because you feel like you're not making progress, but it's a belief that the things that we that we were talking about and the things that we believe in, Mark, right? Research, unmet needs, mapping, engaging people in conversations. It, you have to believe that that's going to make a difference. Right. Um, and, I, and I always did. And I never let anybody tell me otherwise, even, even if the, you know, the big dysfunctional go to market decisions were being made. I still held my ground and persevered and just kept going so it's you know it's it's perseverance is really the only way to kind of get through i believe and i guess
1: it it must also be curiosity because when when sort of your you get frustrated when you see that the ideas that come up don't don't follow through don't create the impact that you want uh you have to be curious and learn What is going on? What are the dynamics? What can I do the next time to actually increase the chance for success, so that it's not just me who who wins, but everybody wins? So I, I, there must be curiosity in there as well.
0: Absolutely, you know, I think that's a great word, and and I think you hit you hit the nail on the head. The curiosity feeds the perseverance, right? Is you know, I I did this cycle, and it didn't have the impact. It had impact, but not the impact that I wanted. How might I change that in the future and continuing th- with that curious mindset? Yeah.
1: R- rather than going into blame mode and uh, yeah, saying right. they don't understand
0: it. Like, right. Uh, yeah. But, and being, you know, so being curious about, about your own organization and about your own business and about your own team and things like that. I've heard people say, say things like, if your organization can't change, change your organization. Which is basically saying, if they, if the, you know, if they don't get, it, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be curious about how I can change that mindset, right? I, I always thought, no, that's the, that's the challenge. Is uh, you know, if des- if if an organization doesn't quote unquote get design at the level that we're talking about it here, why not mm. be curious about that? How yeah. might you change that? Yeah. What else can you do? Yeah. How, what other? How can you take a method, you know, and things that, that you talk about on your show? How can you take that and make it into the next thing,
1: right? And that's, I think, sort of the essence what we're trying to get across with this show that uh, it's super important to learn the craft. But when you get into an organization, when you get uh, out of service design school, out of service design books, um, that's way not enough. That's not a right expression, but uh, you you will see that there are many missing pieces to the puzzle that you that you have to learn and you have to get good at and you have to uh, understand. I I, More and more using the reference to there are other games that need to be played and you need to learn those games, enjoy those games and start playing
0: them to your best ability. I think that's it. It's about embracing that, right? You can either run away from that or you can embrace that as part of your challenge.
1: Yeah. And I hope that we're raising awareness to those games and that people will start Googling, learning, watching YouTube videos and how to do that. How would you summarize our last 45, 50 minutes? Yeah,
0: you know, I, th- I think we just summarized it actually pre- pretty well. It's about being curious about uh, all of the problems around you, starting with your craft, but then what are the other problems uh, on why, <clears throat> why bad design happens, right? Bad design doesn't happen because of a lack of knowledge of design, service design or UX or any of those other things uh, as a craft, right? That design happens because there's this other factor in the middle, in the equation. uh, And it's about um, being curious about that and embracing it, literally embracing it, not running away from it. Nice.
1: When people want to reach out to you and uh, continue this
0: conversation, what's the best way to do that? Where can they find you? I think the best way right now is LinkedIn. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. So you can reach out and connect with me there. And then you can send messages there too. So that's one reason I like LinkedIn. You can say hello through a message, but also on Twitter as well too. So it's at Jim Callback, no dot, no under, underline, just Jim Callback on Twitter. And then you can find me on, on LinkedIn as well too. Um, I also have a, a blog. I don't blog too much. I shouldn't even mention the blog. Forget the blog, Mark. Forget the blog. Uh, <laughs> cut, cut this part
1: out. That's so, that's
0: <laughs> so 2004. <laughs> it, it is, yeah, And then you have this blog stress. And then at some point in time, you just declare bankruptcy. Oh, I haven't blogged in two years. Screw my blog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um no, I have a new website, a new project that's called the Jobs to be Done Toolkit. Uh, based on my last book as well, too. So it's jtbdtoolkit.com. And we have, uh, we have some online learning. Uh, we also have live workshops. And uh, we have some resources there as well, too. But once a month, we have a webinar. In fact, I'm doing a webinar tomorrow. So if you go to jtbdtoolkit.com you'll find the, the webinar. It's basically um, uh, an open community kind of forum thing where you know I get on and it's an AMA and we have a discussion there as well, too. So there's a little bit of a community feel with, with the toolkit as well.
1: Cool. I'll make sure to include all the links in the show notes, the webinar, your reference probably won't be tomorrow because we're recording at a different date than we are oh, okay, publishing no. this video as, as <laughs> happens.
0: Uh, uh, February yeah. 4th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but we do one every month. So, so check it out, check it out. Um, and you can stop by and say hello on one of my webinars.
1: Awesome. The, uh, Tim, no, Jim. Thanks so much for this conversation. Uh, yeah, no worries. yeah, thanks for the passion. Thanks for uh, getting so excited about this and raising awareness uh, to this topic. Well, thanks for having me.
0: I, I hope I hope folks got something out of the episode.
1: I really hope you got something useful out of this conversation with Jim. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did as well. If you've made it all the way here, don't forget that you can still send in your application for the Selling Service Design with Confidence program. It's a program specifically designed to help you increase your self-confidence by getting the message about the value of service design across. Clearly, it's going to help you have better conversations with clients, managers, and CEOs who will respect and appreciate your contribution. And it's going to help you work on bigger and more interesting challenges where you'll have the authority to influence important business decisions. So if you feel like you aren't making the impact you potentially could right now and want to do something about it, check out servicedesignshow.com slash selling and learn more about how to apply to the program. I'll make sure to also include that link in the show notes thanks so much for listening to the service design show it's always an honor to spend this time with you as always keep making a positive impact and i'll catch you in two weeks time with a brand new episode see you then